ボディースラムからここで持って抑え込んでいったドクターを逆にホームルかいやがったカウント2ええそれにもいいだろう This week we're going to start off with a discussion of the green mist. Jim, what are your thoughts on the green mist in general? I think it still plays out even today. Like, I remember, and I feel like I'm the guy that scored three touchdowns in a high school football game because I always、mm-hmm. bring back that taping where the honky tonk man won the IC title. But, <laughs>、yeah. but, but when I went to that,、um, they、mm-hmm. were trying to push Killer Khan. Right. And Killer Khan was in the snake pit and he sprayed Hogan. And I tried、mm. to find the video online and there is like no record of it. But like as a young kid, you're like, oh my God, he sprayed Hogan with the best. Like, like it just it has that kind of reaction. There's that visceral response to like the post spray, like all the green on the face and it looks poisonous and the guy's been blinded and it's a big deal. There's no, it's like the, what's it called? The thing that, The, the kryptonite for Superman. Like it's a kryptonite for everybody,、yeah. right? That's the way it comes across. So I remember, you're right. I remember Killer Khan using it. But I, you know, I, when I think about this, I don't think about Killer Khan as the guy who I was first exposed to with the green mist. I think about either Kendo Nagasaki and the great Kabuki. And either of those guys, you know, they're born in the same year. They have the, a very similar physique. They have face paint. I had a Great difficulties separating them as a kid, unless the announcer mentioned who was whom. And then I was like, all right, you know, maybe it was, I was a kid and I wasn't exposed to Japanese people. So I've been living in Japan now for over 20 years. I went back today and looked at it. I still can't tell who the fuck is who. It's <laughs> so fucking similar looking. But that was my first exposure. Was it also your first exposure to the Green Mist, these guys? Yeah, I think it's probably Kabuki. I think Kabuki shows up in NWA. Right. At some, at some point,、mm-hmm. I think if I remember yeah, you're right, correctly. You're、right. So that he, he, would be, he would be my first exposure to it.、Uh, I see. And so, what were your thoughts of Kabuki and how he used the mist? I feel like it's almost like he had to do it to win or gain an advantage. Like when you get on to talking about wrestlers later, like even now, Malachi Black uses like a black mist. Okay. Like he, he doesn't need it. So he pulls it out for. Every once in a while, for effect, where I feel like Kabuki and Nagasaki, when I watch them, it's almost like a moves in their moveset. That's correct. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. I think, you know, like that was a go to. That's a finish, right? At this time. Right. Yeah, at this time, it's a finish, right? Okay, great. We agree. How about your thoughts on a different kind of mist or a different type of usage of mist? A little bit more aggressive. Aggressive is not the right word, but like somebody who incorporated into their moveset a little bit better, Tajiri. What do you think about Tajiri's mist? Yeah, I think, I think Tajiri is probably like my favorite use of it because he's using it as an advantage, not so much a finisher of the people we've talked about so far, I should say. But like, yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not using it to put somebody away. He's in a bad spot. Correct. Correct. Like, even、right. when he does it, like, I remember him doing it to Triple H. Like, he's, he's in a bad spot and he pulls it off. Yeah. Yeah. It's to return the, Tied in his favor,、yes. right? He's not using it right to finish. I agree. And、uh, ECW, even in ECW, when he was working with Crazy and all that, I don't ever remember him using it for the finish, not once. No, 
No, right? No. That that's probably the better way to use it. The problem is, you know, how do you convince the referee you haven't done something illegal? That's the <laughs> trick. <laughs> that's the trick with this move. So, you know, in terms of practicality, a little bit tricky, but okay, Tajiri is another guy. You need you need a Nick Patrick level referee. Oh, at the and- <laughs> very least. At the very least, a Nick Patrick, right? Okay, then there's a couple of people who use not green mist but red mist, and I wanted to include them here because my thoughts or memories of them using it aren't that clear, but I I'm cl- I clearly remember them using it. But what do you think about Gangrel and Luna Vachon's use of the red mist? Yeah, it's just kind of a, a blood angle, and it was it was okay, but like it's derivative, right? Like the green right. mist has a definite place, mm-hmm. and the red mist is like, oh, they're using red mist. Right. And, you know, I never thought that the way they pulled it out or used it was as a part of the match. It was a part of the, like a show. Like, you know what I mean? Like he used it in his entrance as well. So when he came out, he sprayed it up in the air and there was like all the blood in the back. And so there was no like shock. Like, when is it coming? When is it going to happen? How is he going to use it? You knew it was coming. And not only did you know it was coming, it was like just for show more than anything else. I thought it would be like, it would be like triple H spitting water at somebody. Like That's right. That's right. That's exactly like, I don't what it really was. care. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Very, very ineffective to both of them. Then the last three that I wanted to mention are all a little bit different. The first one is Onita when he turned his gimmick into the Great Nita and he had that feud with Great Muda and then he used his own version of the Mist. Did you watch much of that? It was terrible. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was great. Like it was, it was like B movie. Right. Terrible, yeah, like yeah. like it's terrible, but it's great to watch. Exactly, agreed. Like it was terrible in the sense that you know the quality of the work is so shit, and that's all he has. Like he's got the DDT, he's got, <laughs> he's got a body slam, he's got the mist. That's it. But the feud between them visually looked really, really great, and so the way the mist was used was great. The feud was uh, right. So yeah, the great Nita, and then the other one that I wanted to talk about and mention in my list here is Asuka. I'm not as familiar with her work as you clearly are, but what do you think about how she uses it? It's great. It's it's Tajiri level. I see. Like as far as, and and it's been so like Mal, like I said, Malachi Black uses it now. But mm-hmm. when there was n- no AW going on, right? Like she was really the only U.S. game in town using it. So when she pulled it out, it was effective. I see. I you know what? I have to admit, I hate to say this, and I don't want to sound sexist. But it's kind of cool when you see the photos of her in her face paint and her outfit with the green running down her face. I don't want to say it's sexy. Like, it's not sexy, but there are lots of great photos of her with the green mist running down her mouth. And the WWE is very good at capitalizing on that and putting those images on, like, Instagram and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. The visuals are great. How effective it is as a move I can't speak to, but the visuals behind it and how she looks with it on her face is awesome. It's really, really nice. Yes. Yeah. But for me and you and everybody who is in their 40s or 50s, I think the go-to guy for the mist has to be the great Muda. What are your thoughts on the great Muda's mist usage? And then him as a character in general. What do you think about him? Man, like you want to talk a guy about a guy that was ahead of his time. Like I saw him, I would watch him every week, obviously, but then NWA did like very few shows here. And I saw Flair fight Muda. Live? And 
at live. Holy shit! It was the it was the main event, and it was fucking incredible. Like wow. it was incredible to see that to see him like do the handspring elbow live. Like yeah, <laughs> like the mist the mist is is great, and he's obviously like the most known for it. But like his in ring skills were way 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 ahead of his time. So from the there's the three guys in his generation right him chono and hashimoto they're known as the three musketeers right those of those three he's by far the most athletically gifted he's got the most charisma he's got like he's big and tall and his body is like he's well built and he can do it all i thought he was as close as you could get to the perfect package for the 90s like that was it there was nothing you couldn't beat him in terms of like as a total package of a wrestler and the mist just enhanced his mystique because you needed something because he can't speak English to cover the fact that he can't speak English. So he uses the mist and he he gets that out of his mouth. That's the only thing that comes out of his mouth and the way they handled him in terms of like a manager and having a mouthpiece for him. And whenever he was on camera and their interviews, he's like pointing to his throat as if he's going to miss the camera. I thought it was great. A very good way to hide the fact that he couldn't speak English. And he's by far of the 90s, especially when he, right in the early 90s, when he came back and he was doing that work with Steve Austin in WCW. I loved all of that stuff. I thought it was excellent. Yeah, and he's, and and like, when you think about the 90s, like, he didn't have a premium manager. Didn't he have, like, Gary Hart? Gary Hart, that's right. For a while. Like, like, he doesn't have a mouthpiece like Heyman. Mm. So like the fact that he was over with just his ring skills yeah. is incredible. Yeah, it speaks volumes to his ability, right? Because at that time, the number of foreigners who were over without any English is probably zero, just him. And that's truly like attributable to the fact of how good he was in the ring. Outstanding. Absolutely. And then he had a couple of iterations in his career. He had a bunch of different gimmicks. At first, I thought, you know, moving away from the great Muda into Keiji Muto was a little bit silly, but, you know, it started to wear on me. And then he did like a couple of variations here and there, here and there. He did the hustle stuff. He did this, he did that. Took over all Japan. He did a lot of things in his career. And if you think about, you know, one of the guys who made, you know, the biggest impact of the 90s and 2000s in Japan, I would say Muto's probably near the top of the list, if not at the top of the list. Outstanding contribution to what he did for pro wrestling here. And even in North America, whenever he showed up, even in that like uh, NWO Japan stuff, when he was on Nitro a little bit, it was always an attraction. I always found him to be very interesting. I miss the fact he never showed up in DCW. He would have been perfect for that environment. Yeah, he would have. All right, so today we're talking about his first ever defense of the Triple Crown. And there's a little bit of a backstory we need to develop here. First of all, Muto is working for New Japan. And he comes in and he wins the All Japan Crown, the Triple Crown. Why? Because this is just after the exodus of Misawa and all the other New uh, all Japan athletes to NOAA to start their own federation. And so they're starved for talent. They don't have anybody. They need a name and a face to be recognizable on top. They decide to ask New Japan to help them. And so Muto comes in, wins the title, and this is his first defense against 
Steve, Dr. Death Williams, who's there representing all Japan, and he's trying to get the title back for all Japan. So you've got this weird, you know, dynamic of a foreign guy being cheered by the hometown crowd in all Japan against a Japanese legend who's won the all Japan title as a new Japan wrestler. It's a, a fucking shit show in terms of storytelling. <laughs> and, and this is and this is never ever ever happened before right like where right, somebody never. from a like they were just in panic mode because of noah correct exactly and they should have been right they oh, lost yeah. way too many guys at once yeah yeah and so it was a total shit show because of giant baba's wife's handling of the post baba death booking situation and circumstances and all that and she let misawa and everybody walk and so she was left with this and eventually she lost the company she didn't know what she was doing. And I think, you know, it was a, a smart move, right? Bring Mudo in, you know, have somebody you can trust who's got a name and a reputation to get people to come and watch. And they did. They they watched for a while. But, you know, the writing was on the wall here. It now, was- now, I have a question for you since you're there. Right. Like, this is the beginning of the end of All Japan now. Because, I mean, even now, like, it's, it's not a big deal, right? No, yeah, it's nothing. It's nothing. Today, people talk about All Japan from a like, you know, a retrospective discussion. Like whenever I meet people and I tell them that I like wrestling, they always ask me in Japanese, are you a New Japan fan or an All Japan fan? It's like the typical, stereotypical question <laughs> everybody asks me. And whenever I give them my answer, they're always like, wow. I go, give me the All Japan heavyweights and the New Japan juniors. And they're like, oh, you really know wrestling. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but like, it's, a, it's an afterthought. I know it still exists. I know it still runs. Nobody goes to the shows. It doesn't get any TV time. I haven't heard anything about All Japan in fucking ages. It's way, way, way at the bottom. It would be like, if I have to compare it to a North American promotion, it would be lower than PWG. Wow. It's like that that size, yeah. Like on PWG, puts on great shows. Don't get me wrong. Right. But it's not... But it's not mentioned alongside AEW, WWE, stuff like that. Like it, it's not in that league. That's where that's crazy. That's so crazy. Like I know, I knew you were going to say that. But even mm-hmm. to hear it out loud, when you think of like they were one A and one B and interchangeable yep. depending on who you talk to. Yeah, at one point there was no doubt that all Japan was on top. No pre doubt. Noah. Abs- yeah, pre Noah, absolutely no doubt in. When Baba was on top and he was still working and Inoki was running New Japan, Inoki was in panic mode, right? And so I'm not sure if I had this discussion with you in our earlier episodes, but Giant Baba sat on the board of directors of the NWA. And so whenever any foreign talent wanted to go and work in Japan, they were only allowed to work for Baba. They could not work for New Japan. And so all Japan had Bruiser Brody and they had Abdullah the Butcher and they had all these guys that were names in North America. Then Inoki, uh, in panic mode, he's like, all right, how do I get foreign talent to come in? Because the big storyline at the time was like Japanese fighting foreigners. So he brought in guys who weren't involved in wrestling. He brought in Leon Spinks, and he brought in Russian judo guys and sambo guys, guys not related to wrestling because he was not allowed to book them. And then eventually some guys switched over and then that broke down. But for a long time, All Japan was the game. It, It was no competition between the two. So it went from that to less than PWG, which is in a lifetime. Yeah, it's fucking sad, very sad. Okay, so this match happened while I was in Japan. I was not aware of it. I was here only six months at the time of this match, but I'm familiar with the building it took place in. This took place in the Budokan, which is the same facility where I watched uh, Misawa Kobashi. It's an awesome facility. The lighting, the arena, everything looks great. There's a, a ramp 
on the way to the ring. And I think what's great about this ramp is not that it was used in any specific way, but the entrance, because the crowd is so hyped for Mudo coming down to the ring because they can't believe what they're seeing. Right. Just the aura of his entrance is fucking fantastic. I love the entrance. Yeah, you know what I I noticed too is I noticed that Steve Williams is wearing varsity club tights. Yeah, I noticed. And and I didn't know if that was like a selling point because I know varsity club had a small run in all Japan. So I didn't, I didn't know if that was like to pull at the last few people that weren't cheering for him to even further play this Mudo angle. Yeah. I think it's a very subtle appeal to the past and her like tradition and heritage and get those people on his side. But it's subtle. It's very subtle. He mentioned in the pre-match interview, I'm here to restore the history back to what it should be and take the all triple crown and bring it back home. So I think that's probably why they use those tights. But uh, Mudo's outfits are always great, always wonderful. I love the amount of detail they put into like his costume and gear. It looks fucking yeah. incredible. Oh, great. Okay, so the match starts. And this match is not heavy on skill and technique. It's heavy on storytelling. And I think, unfortunately... It has to be like that because Mudo's knees are totally fucked by this time. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, he has trouble walking. Before the match starts, you can see there's like a little bit of a limp in his walk. And this is the beginning of the end of his knees. He's had double replacement surgery on like knee, his knees. It's kind of like the beginning of the end here. So they have to figure out how can they have a good match without using all the high flying and high speed moves. And so they do something great. And what they do is... They get Mudo to hit a shining wizard out of nowhere right in the beginning of the match, and boom, his knee is fucked because Steve Williams' head is too hard. <laughs> <laughs> now, I is this is a, this the debut of the shining wizard, or does he win the belt with the shining wizard? He won the belt with the shining wizard, and then this is the first time he's using it in a defense. But he okay. uses it multiple times here, right? You're, you're right. Oh, my God, so many times. And, so we're going to get to them. They're great. But the first one was pretty stiff, but I loved how he tried to get up and then he couldn't get up, right? Like, it hurts. And so he goes back on his ass. And as a very wily veteran, he rolls out of the ring, tries to buy himself time, breaks the count, comes back in the ring just to roll back out to buy himself some more time. I loved the intrigue. And you can hear the crowd. They start getting worried. They're like nervous. Oh, no. Is this match going to continue? Is he going to be okay? And the commentators are all selling it. Oh, no, the match might be over because he might not be able to stand up. And I loved that storytelling. I'm sure you picked up on it as well, Jim. What do you think about that angle? Yeah, I think I think it's a lost art. I think when you have older wrestlers, like you could do this. Like it's okay. Like like they just did um like before he got arrested, they did Matt and Jeff Hardy versus the Young Bucks on a pay-per-view. Like mm-hmm. and the the Hardys aren't the Hardys from the 90s. Like you don't right. you don't have to try to book them like the 90s Hardys. Mm-hmm. You could book them like this and have them be crafty. Yeah. And it would have played way better. Mm. Yeah, being crafty sometimes it's, you know, the mind games are way more important than, you know, the high spots and the high speed moves. I think that's how you get people into the match, right? The high spots, they pop and then they sit down. They pop and they sit down. But if you build tension like this, you know, they're into it for the whole match, no matter what you do. I loved, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then from there, 
you know, Mudo's trying to convey the fact that he can't really wrestle. So they get back in the ring and Steve William takes him to the outside and Williams does a strange, there's a strange spot where he's trying to crotch <laughs> Mudo on the outside corner post. And I think yeah. Mudo's thinking that he was supposed to hit his knee, but they, they fucked up the distance or the timing. So he kicks off the corner post and they both take a hard bump on the ground and it doesn't look devastating, but you can tell it's hard. And so, you know, it's a lot of damage with a very little return, but you know, it makes for a good intrigue, right? They, the good intrigue, you don't know who's in control. They get back in the ring, and then the double fuck used by Steve Williams and Mudo facing <laughs> each other. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a soft touch. You know, the fuck you doesn't have the same impact in Japan as it does in America because most of the people here just think it's like a cool thing you see in movies. They don't understand what it means, they don't understand right. that they had that bad. But uh, yeah, then from there, you know, Mudo takes over, hits a moonsault, not his best moonsault. Because his knees are already like jelly, so he's not getting a lot of height, but it still looks impressive to see a Muda moonsault, right? Yeah, it's still great. Yeah, fantastic. fantastic. He's just so big. Like he's six, I think he's six three <laughs> or six four, if I'm not mistaken. And to see a guy that big take a, a moonsault, do a moonsault, and land, land with that mass that he has, like 250, 260 pounds, it looks fantastic. And then a couple of so so spots back and forth. And then Williams lands a pretty shitty belly to belly, and then <laughs> two German suplexes, and then he goes for the backdrop driver. And as he goes for it, I clench my anus and I hold on to the edge of my chair because I'm ready for this fucking guy to kill somebody. And Mudo's response is exactly what you'd expect. He panics and starts like getting all like you know panicky, and then turns over as he gets lifted in the air. I love the escape. I love the tension. I love the whole lean into it. For me, that was the best spot of the match. What do you think about that? Yeah, because they've already sold the fact that he's not a hundred percent. So in your head, again, like I've said before, I don't watch the times of the matches, and I haven't right. watched this match in forever. So. You are you legitimately think, oh, if he hits that because of the way the, the angle is going, this is over. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. I agree. And we know from 1993 when Steve Dr. Des hit those three backdrop drivers on Kobashi, which we'll cover sometime in the future, that that move is the beginning of the end for fucking anybody. <laughs> you can, yeah, you yeah. There's anybody. there's nobody like you shouldn't survive one. They're the <laughs> ugliest looking thing on the planet. Yeah, I'm surprised that nobody said to him like, "You got to stop doing that. It's too dangerous." He killed Kawada. He killed Misawa. He killed Kobashi. Fucking kills everybody with it, and everybody's just taking them like. It's expected in his match because, because the crowd is just so bananas when he hits it. Like the reaction is just crazy. It's fantastic. And you know what? I wish the North American crowds had the ability or the patience to let a match build to where they could get to a backdrop driver. Because if he threw those in North America, I wonder what the reaction would have been in the crowd. I think it's the same. Yeah, he was so over in the varsity club. And when he came to WWE, I was super excited because I'm like, oh, they might let him do the backdrop driver. Right. Like they might let him do it because it was the nineties and right. it didn't fucking matter. And instead they did brawl for all. Oh, they fucked his career. And just to and just totally fucked his career. You know, I think the brawl for all 
involving him in the brawl for all was not only a big mistake from like a booking point of view, but the guy was older by that time, right? That's yeah. Boxing's a young man's game. No matter how strong you are, you know, speed is king. You can't put a guy in a boxing match. It was fucking. It was terrible. A terrible decision. So yeah. Yes. So yeah. They ruined his career. But I don't know if you remember. After that, uh, what was the guy's name? Ed Ferrara and uh, Vince Russo felt a little bit guilty for fucking his career. So they brought him back in WCW to have a feud with Vampiro. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that at all. I know. Nobody remembers that. Nobody remembers that. They brought him out and he did a little feud with Vampiro and they tried to get him some screen time and some paydays because they fucked him with a brawl for all. It was unintentional. They felt guilty for that. I was very surprised when I heard that. Well, that's, that is interesting. That's, that's usually not a story you hear about Russo. Right, right. <laughs> okay. So back to our match, a uh, Muro panics gets out of the death drop driver. And then he goes for it again. This time, Muro backflips out of it. Uh, actually, he goes for a German, and Muro backflips out of it. And when he backflips out of it, he throws a drop kick to the knee. And then, with Williams on the ground, his knees up in the air, Muro throws another drop kick to his knee, which is up in the air. I thought that was fucking clever. I've never ever seen that before. It was a great visual demonstration. The whole crowd could see what was going on. It didn't hurt at all because your knee would just shake in the air. There's nothing to right. to bend against, right? So, like, I just thought it was a great visual. I, I don't know if you've ever seen that before. What do you think about that? No, I think you have two guys past their prime that still are going to put on a great match and understand that the story matters, especially in Japan at the time, the story matters. Right, right. At this time, the story is king, right? So, and then from there, Muro gets up. And then he does like what I want to call a Ric Flair strut, but he's doing it because his knee's not working, not because he's trying to strut. (laughs) And then he hits the most brutal shining wizard I've ever seen. Oh, Jesus Christ. Steve Dr. Death Williams' forehead opens up with blood. It's fucking incredible. I'm guessing it's the finish. And then he fucking kicks out. I was like, Oh my God, why would you get out of that? Just lay there. It was fucking, it was awesome. Then he does another one to the top of the head, a body slam, and another shining wizard. And okay, clearly, you know, it's got to be over here, but another kick out. I thought they were building to something absolutely outstanding before they got to the the finisher and they did all these. What were your thoughts about all of this? Man, I was like, yeah, I thought it was going to be... I don't know, like he like he tries an Oklahoma stampede and his knee gives out and then Muda shining wizards him to the back of the head or I wasn't oh. like I like I thought that could be a finish, but like when he hits that brutal one, they should have just changed the finish. Right. Because he eat, he eats the whole fucking knee. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's fucking fantastic. And then from there, you've gotten all these fucking fantastic shining wizards. And then out of nowhere, <laughs> let's do one more. And then let's fuck up the count and make it confusing. <laughs> what the fuck was this <laughs> right. finish? The referee, he's a very, very famous referee, always outstanding. Well, he's great. Really, really, really good. His counts are good. His positioning is good. Times are... I don't know what the fuck happened here. He fucked up the count. Williams kicks out at two. He calls it a three. And then in the end, there's just kind of like confusion and it's over out of nowhere. Yep. Other than that, other than a strange fucking finish, I thought it was great storytelling and a really good match. What did you think about all this? It was a great match, and I love Steve Williams' press conference afterwards when he just yells, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, it's sad. I don't know what the fuck happened. What was the what was the plan? Maybe he kicked out late, or he was supposed to kick out at an earlier one, or not kick out, and he kicked out. I don't know what was going on, but unfortunately, it ruined an otherwise very yeah. good and way yeah, too many and way too many shining wizards, right? Like, right, like, like he right. probably should have had like maybe three if you're going to do that. Like, I understand with his knee hurt, but like, yeah. it was just it was like a super kick party for shining wizards. What? 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 And this week, we're going to play a very interesting game. So this game is a game I cannot win and I would not do well at. There is no victory, but I want to see how far you can get. I have found a list of all 63 official NWO members in all of history. Oh my God. Okay, there are some fucking names on this list you will not fucking believe. Okay, so let me just open my list. I'm going to have to, I'm going to open up a document and just type the ones as I say them. So that way I don't, oh my God. There's so many. Okay, so here we go. Round one. There's 63 rounds. Let's see how far you can get. NWO members. Who do you got? First, is it red NWO, black? It's everybody? Every fucking NWO you can imagine. Oh, my God. Like, I don't think you need to do rounds. I think you should just keep them in your head, and I'll just keep naming people. Okay, so this is NWO not including NWO Japan. That's the okay, only thing. Okay, that's so fine. Not, not NWO Japan. Okay, so let's go. Hall, Who do you got? Hall. Okay, very good. Nash. Then, good. Hogan. Then, Good. Buff Bagwell. Okay, hold on one second. Hogan. Bagwell. Yeah, I'm sure Bagwell's there. One second. Bagwell. Yep. Buff Bagwell next. Um, fake Sting. <laughs> yeah, his official name is NWO Sting. All right. <laughs> okay, NWO um, Sting. Good. Bibiasi. Very good. Um, six. Yes, excellent. His name in NWO was at first X, uh, six, and then in WWF, when he was an NWO member of the WWF, they just used X-Pac, so good. Right. Um, Vincent. Very good. Horace Boulder. Oh, where the fuck did that come from? Horace Boulder. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Horace Boulder. Horace Boulder. Oh, right. He's known at this time as Horace Hogan. Yeah, in the because NWO. he's related. That's the only reason he got in. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. Does Bischoff count? Yes, Bischoff. Very good. Um, um, the the uh, the camera hog himself, Conan. Conan is correct. Wolfpack. We got Luger. Okay. Oh my God, you're you're on a roll, Luger. Yes. We got Sting. Very good. Shit, I was doing so well. And yeah, you're doing really well so far. Uh, Big Papa Pump. Correct. Savage? Correct. El- Elizabeth, does she count as? Correct. Um, Flash Norton. Oh, my God. Scott Norton. Very good. Oh, the giant. The giant. Very good. Oh, the disciple. Very good. Excellent. I'm going to say Louis Spicoli. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, Henning turned on Flair. Henning? Very good, Henning. Was Rodman on WO? Yes, correct. <sighs> Was Nick Patrick the NWO ref? 
Oh my God, you're on fucking fire, Jim. Holy shit. Great. Um, I'm going to blow this, but they didn't make Dusty NWO at one point, did they? Wow. Dusty Rhodes. Very um, good. Stevie Ray? Yes, correct. Holy shit. Did they put those stupid fucking tall goons in? Um, The Harris Brothers? Ron and Don Harris? The Harris Brothers are both NWO members. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Oh, wait, wait. Does WWE count or are we just talking WWE? Yeah, WWE counts. WWE counts. Oh, um, Michaels and Triple H? Michaels is correct. Under? Michaels is correct. And... Uh, oh, and you're out. Triple H is oh. not an official member, but very, very, very fucking well done. Holy shit. Okay, so the names you missed in order of when they became NWO members, okay? You're going to fucking laugh your ass off. The first one you missed, Kyle Petty. <laughs> what? <laughs> I wouldn't have got that. Kyle Petty. Then... You missed the Nasty Boys. Uh, Brian, really? Yeah, Brian Nobbs. I had no idea they were in. Jerry Sykes. Then Mike Rotunda as Michael Wall Street. Then I didn't know that. Bubba Rogers. I didn't remember that either. Then Rick... I don't remember any... If I remember one, I'll let you know. Rick Rude. Nope. Brian Adams. Disco nope. Inferno. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. David Flair. Yeah, that makes sense. Tori Wilson. No, I didn't even remember Tori Wilson being in WCW. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Bret Hart. <laughs> no, Jeff Jarrett. I should have remembered that. Hey, then, if you know any of these names, I'll be forget about NWA. If you know the names, that'd be what? Medeja. Nope. Tylene Buck. Nope. April Hunter. April Hunter, I know, because I think she was in ECW for a little bit. Uh, Pamela Polshock. Nope. I don't know. And the last one is Booker T. Uh, see, I didn't think Booker T was in. Yeah, I think he came in. He was the second last member. So I think he came in just before the WWE or maybe with the WWE run, he was part of that probably because he's the second last guy to join. Oh yeah. Okay. So and he's then, probably WWE. Yeah. Probably WWE, but very, very, very well done. Holy shit. That's next level. Fantastic. Very well. Done. I, I watched every fucking episode. Like even when they did like those weird offshoot shows where they were only NWO people. Right. Right. Like I watched, I ate up all of that like candy, like all that shit. I was it, for at the time it was great, and retrospectively it brings back good memories. But yeah, some of these members are fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Paula Pulse. Oh, Disco Inferno! <laughs> what are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, for this thing from NWO you have in your mind, you know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. yeah, yeah. All oh right. yeah, and there's no no way. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Six Man Podcast. You can tag in with a DM. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to write to us at sixmanpodcast at gmail.com. For now, it's time to tag out. 